This is the big anchor foundation that we've been coming around for the last few Sundays. Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us, lives through us, this Christian life for us. Can we all say this together? Just mm, affirm this truth. Here we go. Ready? The Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us, lives through us, this Christian life for us. We talk a lot about the gospel here and how that's a great equalizer. And I recognize that the Holy Spirit is also the great equalizer. What do I mean? If you recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life, you realize that any ounce of character transformation, any ounce of goodness of our character that comes through of our lives is not because of our work and effort. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Any transformation and change we see, ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's a great equalizer. Why? Because if you recognize any level of compassion, gentleness, kindness, love, Self-control and all the other attributes of the Spirit is the work of Him in us and not our own effort. Pull ourselves by the bootstraps. John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing but remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. That means that anything that arises out of us is a result of His work. That means that when you see somebody who is struggling, you won't be self-righteous. When you see someone who struggles and lacks character transformation, you won't look at them and go, well, what's wrong with you? I did it. Why it's a deep humility that arises that says, this is your work in and through me. And it humbles us deeply. Enables us to have enormous amounts of compassion, kindness, gentleness. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks as the Spirit works in us. Man, I tell you, you, the Holy Spirit and our recognition that we are utterly dependent on Him for everything, great equalizer, great equalizer. We're talking about the Holy Spirit is not just God, but He's a person. And I got this text from somebody uh, that I'm mentoring, and, and this is what he said. He said, you know, you preaching the subject of the Holy Spirit is very helpful in a way that it makes the Holy Spirit tangible and real in our lives as Christians. It's very challenging to look at how the Spirit is or is not at work in various areas of our lives. And he's basically saying, I came into this series really wary because the Holy Spirit and the topic of it kind of freaks me out a little bit. But we've been saying that he's a person. And as we're talking about, and we're going to talk about, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is like being filled with a person. What does it mean to be filled with a person and not a force? I try to think of some common ways our culture kind of talks about this a similar way. And the best thing that I came with is when somebody says, oh, she's really into him. Or he's really into her. And talk about in the context of sort of romantic relationship. When you talk about being filled with somebody, it means that, one, you come under enormous influence by them, right? Like you try and anticipate the desires, their wishes, their wants. When you get filled or you're in this, their desires, their wants, their hopes, their dreams, become so aware of it. Don't, not only do you become aware of it, but you're incredibly responsive to meet it. It's possible to meet those things of them that you know are wants and desires. When we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, a person, we're talking about coming under his influence in such a way 
They were mostly responsive to his leading and to his promptings. Holy Spirit, to be filled with a person who's God is to be filled with a person, to be influenced, to be responsive, to be influenced, to be responsive. And last week I shared this other analogy, the flip side of that, right? It's a man who was having an affair. And every time his wife was out of town, he'd bring his mistress over to their house. But the thing that he had to do was he had to turn all the pictures of his wife and his children that was filled in his house over. He would turn them down, all of it, from from the walls. Why? Because even just the reminder or presence of the picture photograph of his wife would affect his behavior. And I shared this last week. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? To be filled with, and thank you, CC, for singing that song today. Because when I talked about this last week, it got real quiet, which is a good sign. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the awareness that there is a holy God in whom there is no sin, who is of pure eye who lives permanently within the walls of our lives. And I ask the question, has the vivid awareness of the Holy Spirit who lives in you taken hold? Hmm? See, the, 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 the question is not, is he in you? We're talking about that. He, if you are a child of God who received Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came into your life. The question is, are you aware of it? I said this last week, it's very difficult to... It's very difficult to sin when you're vividly aware of God's presence. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? If you don't, try it. Try it. Try it. It's very, very difficult. And I tied this to spiritual disciplines of prayer and time in the Word. Why do we, do, why do we pray? Why do we spend time in the Word? Oh, for some of us, so that God would bless me. I'd have a good week. Check off the list. Uh, the whole aspect. Look at Jesus. Prayer and the disciplines was what? So that he could live the entirety of his life in vivid awareness of the Father's glorious presence. You see, Jesus constantly aware, everywhere, all times. And he's praying. He's responding. He's praying. And he's responding. Um, this life will sound utterly foreign to 99% of us who are busy, hurried, chaotic, unrested. This is so foreign. This is so foreign to those of us who live hurried, busy, hectic. It, 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 it almost will feel like that sounds alien. How do you do that? How do you live your life? And, and we'll get to this later. I, 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 am, I am trying in personal life to practice what's called the daily offices. What do I mean? I'm realizing, I'm sorry to drop this bombshell on some of you guys. I've been doing quiet times for like 25 years. They don't work. Sorry. They don't work for me. You know why? Because I do 15 minutes of quiet time. And the other 23 hours and 45 minutes, I could be spent without giving God a second thought. What I'm trying to do and again, this is where we're going next year. I'm trying to do this morning, midday, evening to intentionally pause, pause, pause. 
to make myself aware of his presence. Pause. 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 Uh, I wasn't planning to share that, but um, that's where we're going. Because I'm telling you, the challenge for us to become aware of God's presence is to still our hearts throughout the day to go, He's here. He's in me. He's all the way around. And quiet times just aren't doing it for me. So sorry to drop that bombshell for those of you that are like, quiet time, quiet devotions. That's not the point. The point is, he's here. He's in me. He's here. He's in me. Ephesians 5. Turn your Bibles. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Oh, man. We're at Ephesians 5, and we're literally parking ourselves in three verses, 15, 16, 17, sorry, four verses for the next couple of weeks. But before Paul gets into some of the most profound teaching on marriage and parenting and employer-employee and other relationships, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit in verse 18. Like he introduces this enormous thing and then he talks about some of the most practical, profound things about how to live relationally. And we talked about this. Why is that important? Two things. He says, number one, unless you are filled with the Spirit, I'm going to just plainly, unless you're filled with the Spirit, your marriage is not going to work. Unless you're filled with the Spirit, Your relationship with your parents and your children is just not going to work. Unless you're filled with the Spirit, your life relationship at work is just not going to work. Paul just plainly says, be filled. Why? That's how these relationships are going to work. The other side of this is this. The way that you know you're filled with the Spirit is not getting glory bumps and worship. The way that you know you're filled with the Spirit is how are your relationships? If you claim to be filled with the Spirit and your relationships are a wreck, they continue to be a wreck, there's no healing, there's no forgiveness, there's no redemption, there's no reconciliation, and they continue to be a wreck, something else is going on, but you are not filled with the Spirit. This is a spark. And then I thought about this. Do you realize how critical this is to live out the mission of our church? The same Holy Spirit who produces this very diverse, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-everything church in Acts 2 is the same Holy Spirit we need to be the church that God calls us to be. Amen? Come on now. You and I have absolutely no ability on our own to live and love somebody who is completely different from us. Can I just say that? Do you have what it takes on your own to love that that sister who has nothing in common with you? Are you kidding me? And what's at stake? What's at stake is that this kingdom community is the vivid demonstration of the gospel and the fact that God is at work. We are inviting the world to watch us and go, see, that's the gospel at work. God reconciling humanity. And you and I think we can do that on our own? Please, let's pack it up and go home. Do you realize how critical this is? Which is the reason why Paul constantly talks about this throughout the New Testament. That are, by the way, multi-ethnic, multiracial churches. Uh, I'm in a small group called Talking Circles where we're reading through uh, the New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. 
Myth for the third time. There's like 18 of us, very diverse group. And these conversations were intense as heck. I walk away just drained, man. And I'm going, I don't think I can come back for another one. And then I go back for another one. They are killing me. But they are so profound and so good. This last one, and I asked this guy's permission. We shared, we talked about how this enormous, enormous thing, enormous thing, racism, systemic racism in our country. How do we personally, individually, what is our role? How do we overcome it? We went and shared. And, and Dusty Peterson, this, this, this really like white, white guy, like really, not just culturally, but I'm talking about skin. He is white as white can get. Dusty, Dusty says, got this chair, and he goes, uh, uh, I, I don't know if I should share. By the way, that's not how he talks. <laughs> He's much cooler than that. He's not in here. That's how I can do that. He's down in security like a good servant downstairs. He goes, I don't know if I should share. And we're all like, share, man, what's up? He goes, well, it's kind of corny. We're like, corny. And he goes, um, I, I realize that more than anything for me personally, what I need is the fruit of the Spirit. We're all like, that ain't corny. Why do you think that's corny? That's not corny. And then he said this. He said, I realize that there is need everywhere. But the thing that I lack is compassion. Do you realize that the opposite of love, opposite of love is not hate. Opposite of love, my church family, is indifference. You just don't care. That is the poison that will hinder this church family from being what God called us to be. Is that you'll be indifferent. you care? Verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How many of y'all want to know God's will for your life? Okay. This is a common repeated theme. Your ability to discern the unknown will of God in your life, job, marriage, future. Your ability to discern the unknown will of God in your life is directly related to your willingness to obey the known and revealed will of God. Don't be sitting there going, well, I have the desire to obey what God says, clearly revealed. But I'd like to know my future wife. I'd like to know my future husband. I'd like to know my future career. God goes, why would I reveal to you what you may not know about your future when you have no desire to do what I've clearly revealed to you? So here it is. God's revealed will. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled. Everybody say, be filled. Be. Come on. Say it like you mean it. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Three things real quick, implications. One, it's a command. Be filled, it's a command. 
It's in what's called the imperative mood in Greek. Most people think of being filled as something you passively wait for. I want to be filled. I want to be filled. Fill me. I want to be filled. And the Bible says it is a command. Be filled. It's not something you wait for. But notice the balance. It doesn't say fill yourself up. Thank the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say it's up to you. Fill yourself up. No, no, no. Be filled. There's something that you definitely do, but also work of God in your life. Secondly, it's not just a command. It's also to everyone. It's in the plural form. Let me just say it very, very clearly. This is not for those of us that come from charismatic Pentecostal backgrounds who go, I like the Holy Spirit in my life. This is for everyone. This is not for a handful of super spiritual Christians in this church. It's for everyone. This is not for those of us just who says, I like the idea of Holy Spirit. I want This is for, say it with me, everyone. Third, it is also an ongoing thing. The command is in the present tense. In other words, it's a continual appropriation, not just the once in a lifetime. Real quick, real quick, real quick. In the Bible, you are never commanded to be dwelt by the Spirit, be baptized by the Spirit. Why? Because those are one-time events that the Spirit of God does for you. You will never find command, be baptized, be indwelt, but you'll constantly find be filled. Why? It's something that the work of God does in you, something that you appropriate. It's an ongoing thing. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Memorize this, please. Memorize this, please. It's all talk about walking according to the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to live my, can we read this together? Here we go. It's to live my life sensitive to, come on, dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate my entire being. Amber, you like that? Isn't that powerful? Here's the tragedy. You ready? There are Christians in this room today who have been converted by Christ and the Holy Spirit, but though nothing of the Spirit-filled life. I'm going to say that again. There's some of us in this room who are indwelt by the Spirit, been baptized by the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in us, but though nothing of this Spirit-filled life. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. That's why we're talking about it. How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? Real quick, remember last week? Sort of talked about the negative consequences. Negative consequences of not being filled with the Spirit. Do you remember? Do not be drunk on wine because it leads to debauchery. Debauchery, dissipation, literally means to be depleted, to be exhausted. Thank you, Buki, for sharing what you shared. So many of us are exhausted because we are running around like crazy, doing all kinds of things that don't have our name on it from heaven. We're doing all kinds of things in the name of trying to please other people, trying to find significance and worth. We're doing all kinds of things that God didn't give us as kingdom assignments. And what we said last week was the extent to which you are filled with the Spirit is the extent to which you will have power, 2 Corinthians 3, right? Love and self-discipline. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-discipline. The way that you know you're filled with the Spirit is that you have utter control and discipline over your time, over your tongue, over your body, and over your energy. Is that you? Is that me? Life of power, love. Self-control. And today, now I'm not going to go long for today because it's hot. <laughs> I also know when it's filled with the Spirit. 
Paul says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It's really easy. One point today. Paul's basically saying, go to the Spirit for what you go to the bottle to get. Go to the Spirit, Holy Spirit, for what you go to the bottle to get. Drinking. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious because I think Paul maybe had Acts chapter 2 in mind. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and the people were filled with the Spirit? Do you remember what the onlookers said? How did they describe them? They said, they must be what? Trump. I thought about them. Like, why would they think how they were behaving? Why would they think? I, I think this is just a thesis of mine. I think the reason why people thought that the disciples who were filled with the Spirit were drunk is because they acted like somebody who was filled with joy, happiness, and courage. And the only time they ever saw people who were that courageous, that joyful, that happy is when they had had a few. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why does someone get drunk? Why does someone drink to excess? Now, we have counselors here. I'm not going to get real deep about family history and biology and all that. Listen, I only have like 45 minutes to preach, okay? I can't delve into all of that. So don't email me and go, well, you made it. I, and, and also, people drink because they're stupid and they're immature and they're responsible, right? Irresponsible. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about functionally, psychologically. Why does someone get drunk? Well, here's what I've seen. Here's what I've seen as a pastor. One of the biggest reasons why people drink is to mask pain. People drink and get drunk to mask pain. What do I mean? People have problems. They can't face them. They have problems. They can't face them. They get drunk to mask the pain. People lose their jobs. How do they handle it? They get drunk. She says that she's no longer into you. How do you handle rejection? You go get drunk. Some of y'all are smiling or you're looking down. She says she wants a divorce. The CT scan comes back and it's cancer. Your kids are rebelling. And I could list 20 more of these, right? Why do people drink and get drunk? It's to mask the pain. Here's another reason why people get drunk. To get courage. What do I mean? I've heard literally somebody say, I- I've got to tell her something very, very unpleasant. So, why do people get drunk? Pharmacology books will tell you that certain centers in your brain get knocked out. You don't think about the ramifications of what you do. So, it gives you courage. But Here's another reason. I found this on the bathroom wall of a coffee shop. And your pastor is one of those, yes. When I'm doing my business, I look around at chalkboards because I like to think what people think in the city. Here's what I found. It says, man up and call her when you're sober. And then somebody erased it and said, text. <laughs> I won't tell you the other 30 comments around that because it's not appropriate for church. Do you know the reason why people get drunk? And you're tracking with me. I could tell. To mask the pain, find meaning in life, to get courage, but also to get vulnerability. Vulnerability. What do I mean? You ever meet somebody who never shares anything, never opens up when they're sober, that they get a few, and all of a sudden it's like, let me tell you about my childhood. Like, where did this come from? (laughs) You ever meet somebody who never gets vulnerable? Until they had a few. 
And all of a sudden, they open up. All of a sudden, they share their pain. All of a sudden, they share their, their struggles, their past. People drink to get a vulnerability that they can't when they're sober. They drink to get courage that they can't get when they're sober. They drink to get meaning in life, to master pain that they can't when they're sober. And here's the crazy thing. You ready? There are a lot of different ways of getting drunk. Some of you get drunk by having meaningless sex. Everybody look up here for a second. Sex doesn't equate to intimacy. There's nothing lonelier that the second after you have sex with someone, who cares nothing for you? Why are you trying to mask that pain? By having meaningless sex. Some of us, the way we get drunk, we watch a lot of TV. Oh, sure, it's not as ungodly, but you sit there, man, with your remote, and it's four hours, and your wife is like, are you going to help out, dude? Some of us turn to porn. Some of us turn to drugs. Some of us turn to food. Do you know how many bulimics and anorexics have been a part of our church? Won't share with anybody. Some of us mask it by gambling. What are these? All these are ways of getting drunk. What, why? So you don't have to think about reality. You don't think about pain. Think about consequence. Think about any of this stuff. Uh, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Say yes if you do. But here's the thing about drinking. You ready? And other pharmacology, pharmacists in your pharmacology books will tell you alcohol is a what? Alcohol is a depressant. So how does it give you courage, meaning life vulnerability? How does it do it? It depresses your brain. What do I mean? It depresses your ability to handle truth. That's why you're happy because it masks the parts of you that's making you unhappy. In other words, it makes reality less real. You don't have to deal with truth. So you get courage, vulnerability, and strength to live. By what? By masking the pain, by living in denial. I've heard this analogy before. Think of your problems and your troubles as a monster with big teeth and big fangs. It's about to come upon your little house. And you're scared. How do you deal with that? You drink. You drink. You mask it. Insecurity, your fear, your anxieties, your worries. You do everything you can to mask it. You don't have to think about the monster. But church, here's the question I want to ask you. Does masking your pain and not dealing with reality by escaping, does it work? Be truthful this morning. Say it. Does it work? No. No. Some of you are not even there yet. You're going, yeah, it works. Eventually, reality catches up to you. At some point, your insecurity, your fears, your anxieties, your addictions catch up to you. Let me just put it this way. How many bad decisions have we made in our lives because we were just unwilling to come to grips with our insecurities and our fears? Anybody? How many bad decisions have you and I made because we constantly compare ourselves or compare our lives with other people? Anybody? 
How many of us continue to make bad decisions because we just will not come to grips with, will not be rigorously honest about our past, about what it is that we've been through? We just continue to mask it. No, you may not go to a bar and get drunk, but you're watching TV. You're looking at porn. You're sleeping around. You're taking drugs. You gamble. You date around meaninglessly. And yes, some of you throw yourself into your work and work 90 hours. At some point, though, man, I'm telling you, reality catches up to you. Someone once said this, the longer you are in full flight from reality, the harsher will be the crash landing. Oh, man, see, 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 I, I, here's the thing, though. You can't be rigorously honest. I know I sound like a counselor right now, because I am. Holy Spirit is a counselor, so I'm hopefully channeling him and getting to your grill. I'm getting into your grill, getting your business. You have to be rigorously honest with yourself about God, about you. Rigorously honest. You have to be able to face truth in reality, truth in reality, before you can make changes, before you can grow, before they could be healing. Ask any counselor, they'll tell you. The first step towards change and growth is when you go, I am not going to be in denial anymore. I'm going to be realistic and face truth about me, about God. But where do you get that courage? Where do you get that vulnerability? Where do you get that from? Unless you have courage and deep security and the knowledge you're unconditionally loved. Where do you get that from? As when Paul comes along and says what? Do not be drunk on wine. But what? But What's Paul saying? If this resonates with you, you clap. You're saying whatever. What Paul is saying is this. The work of the Holy Spirit is that he comes into your life. He looks at your fears, your anxieties, your insecurities. He looks at your life. And he says, you can't face truth. He says, let me give you a greater awareness of a greater reality that's at work. The Holy Spirit comes and says, I know and you you can't face the truth about you, about God. But what the Holy Spirit does is he comes and he says, let me make the truth shine so that beyond that you see a greater part of reality. And here's what he makes you see. He doesn't just show you the monsters coming on your house. He shows you a sovereign Lord who is in control of that monster. A sovereign God who sits on the throne of heaven and he says, I am in control and history is progressing exactly I intended. Is that good news? The Holy Spirit comes and says, let me show you through shines. God says, I've got you in the palm of my hand. And no one can snatch you out of my hand. The Holy Spirit comes and says, you think your life is ruined? There's nothing that your boss can do, your boyfriend, girlfriend can do. There's nothing that your ex-boss is going to do. There is nothing that anyone can do to ruin my perfect plan for your life. How strong would you be if that truth shined in your heart? Are you hearing me? Good Lord There's a beautiful scene in the Old Testament that I go to again and again and again where you see this. 
The prophet Elisha is in Dothan, Palestine with the servant. And he, they're surrounded by the Assyrian army. And they're on top of the city wall. They're looking out. And the servant is freaking out. He's like, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're surrounded. What do you think Elisha says? Elisha says, let's go get a drink. Let's not think about it. No, that's not what he says. He prays. Good Lord, we got to know our Old Testament. <laughs> Elisha says, he prays for the fullness of the Spirit. Look, you memorize this passage. Look what happens. Oh, man. I, Second Kings. Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Chariots of fire. By the way, there was a movie made out of this. Chariots of fire of God's angels all around. The work of the Holy Spirit was not that the servant did not see the Assyrians. He saw the Assyrian army. But he saw a larger reality. A sovereign God who is in control. Church, is this good news? Is this real to you? Some of you, and I know because you've shared with me, the way you've dealt with your employment, the loss of employment, and your fear, and and rightful fear, I totally understand. Fear, how am I going to feed my family? Is my career over? Hey, what are you dealing with those? You're going, I'm scared, so I'm going to drink, because I don't want to think about it. She breaks up with you. He breaks up with you, and you go, life is meaningless. I need to get some meaning in life, so you drink. Your kids are rebelling. Some of you, I feel like a failure as a parent. You reach for food. All these are ways of getting drunk so that you don't think as much about reality by numbing the pain, by masking the fear, by masking the insecurity, by giving temporary relief. What the Holy Spirit does. Oh, Cece, I wish I had a witness this morning. What the Holy Spirit does is he comes and he gives you the courage, the meaning in life, the vulnerability that you need by making the truth a larger reality about God, about you, shine so that you and I are melted with the spiritual understanding of who we are in him and who he is to us so that we no longer have to live in denial of our troubles, but we can live triumphing of our troubles. Amen. Oh, church, I wish, I wish you got this because if you, this is such enormous news. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that he comes and he makes the two so shine that you don't live in denial of your troubles, but he gives you strength and power to overcome them and triumph over them. And yeah, you see the Assyrian army, but you see something larger, greater, more powerful. And it's God's omnipotence, loving hand. When you're filled with the Spirit, you say, man, if he's that glorious, if he's that patient, if he's that kind, if he's that great, what am I worried about? There is a God who loves me. I'm going to just preach this to myself. You just listen in. There is a God who loves me, and I am his, and he is mine. I know that if he is glorified, I will be fulfilled and satisfied. 
The nature of things is such that if God is glorified, I will be fulfilled. I will be satisfied. No matter what happens tomorrow, ultimately I know that with him I win. I win. The work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit. There are all places all over the New Testament where Paul talks about, here's how you be filled with the Spirit. But he doesn't use the words be filled. He prays like this. And you should be familiar with this because we read this last Sunday at the very end, Ephesians 3.16. Let's read this together. And when I say read it, I'm saying right now, if you're sitting there going, Peter, I wish, I wish, I wish what you're saying right now could move from here to here. Move from here to here. Move from here to here. As you read this, make it your prayer. Here we go, verse 16, Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you realize a little play on words Paul says there? Last, he says, I pray that they would know something that's unknowable. Why? Because it's one thing to know that God is loving, one thing to know that God is powerful, one thing to know, know uh, uh, intellectually knowing that God is in control, but it's another thing to have that truth shine in your heart. It's one thing to know that God is patient. It's another thing to go, God, win! I'm so impatient. But when the truth shines, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? A sovereign Lord who loves me, who unconditionally loves me, is in control. And he says that my life is progressing exactly the way he says he's planned. Why am I impatient? I'm sad. Why am I sad? Because she rejected me? Good Lord. She rejected me. I have the favor of the king of the universe. And what she says... That is going to be traumatic. Is that real to you? Do you know it? Or do you know it? You know, as I thought about Acts, and a number of other examples, you think about why Acts throughout the book says, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the word with boldness. They were filled with the Spirit, and they laid down their lives. What do you think happened to them? What do you think happened to them? What do you think happened to them? They were zapped with some energy. Now I can shoot. No! What happened to them? The truth about God and truth about them became real. And it shined. And when the love of God and the power of God becomes real and it shines in your heart, you go, what am I afraid of? If he is for me, who can be against me? If he is for me, their persecution, their rejection, their approval of me, doesn't matter. Two shines. Some of you that work for justice, some of you that work for justice for the rest of your life, here's the question for me. Unless you're filled with the Spirit, how in the uh, can you possibly do your work? How can you possibly go out there, expend your time and energy, unless that truth that God is sovereign in control, evil will not have the last word, sin will not have the last word, and injustice will not have the word, because God is in control. Unless that truth shined in your heart, how could you possibly have optimism and hope to do your work? Nate, we can't, can we? 
Are you filled with the spirit that the truth of who he is begins to shine? When you walk out today, you can't see the stars. But the stars are there. Did you learn that in fifth grade? The stars are there. You can't see the stars. You know why? Because the sun is outshining the stars. How do you get filled with the spirit? How do you get filled with the Spirit? I want to get filled with the Spirit just the way Jesus got filled with the Spirit. And here's what didn't happen. Fill me, fill me, zap, I'm filled. Here's how Jesus got filled with the Spirit. This is so huge. Luke 10, 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Can you just picture that? Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. What causes Jesus to be filled with joy in the fullness of the Spirit? Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Did you catch it? What? As he reflected on and cherished the truth. Oh, I hope this really resonates with some of you. What fills Jesus with joy through the Holy Spirit is as he reflects on and as he cherishes his truth that God ultimately doesn't reveal himself to the learned, but he reveals himself to little children. What causes Jesus to go, whoa, is him reflecting on cherishing this truth that God the Father is a God of grace. He doesn't come and reveal himself to the learned, that is, the proud, the strong, the, 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 the powerful, the I've got it all together. But he reveals himself to the children, which is a spiritual word for the weak, willing to admit I'm spiritually bankrupt, willing to admit, God, I can't do life on my own. <gasps> I can't, but you can. What fills Jesus with joy through the Holy Spirit is he reflects on the truth that God is a God of grace. God doesn't divide the world between bad and good people. He divides the world between the humble and the proud. He divides the world between, I'm strong, I'm independent, I don't need anybody. Yeah, you're 27, you've got a great job. You think you could do life. But he reveals himself to those who say, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I am nothing without you. But by the grace of God, there I go. The Son of God. Why, why did he need that, Jesus? Why did Jesus need to be filled with the Spirit? Because of just like you and me, to go through life. He has the weight of the world on his shoulders. How does he deal with it? I'm going to have me a drink. I'm going to mask the pain. I'm gonna, what does he do? He cherishes and reflects deeper into this truth. God is a God of grace. King David See, you can come on up. He's just committed adultery. He's committed murder. He is repenting. And he writes this psalm, Psalm 51. Some of you might be familiar with it. He says, do not cast me from your presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit. King David has sinned. And all he's thinking is, my days as king is finished. Why? Murder, adultery. God is holy. Y'all need to hear me on this. 
God is holy. And David knows, I'm finished. Sin cannot dwell holiness. I've sinned. I'm finished. So he says, take not thy Holy Spirit. Don't take your presence. Do you know what God does? Do you remember what God does? What does God do? God doesn't remove the Spirit. Why? Why? Centuries later, centuries later, the ultimate David, the descendant of David, the one they call the anointed one, the ultimate David, the ultimate king. He's on the cross. Do you remember what he prays? My God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? What is he praying? The ultimate David, the sinless David is praying. Why have you forsaken? He's saying, take not thy spirit. Take not thy presence away from me. And yet, what does the father do? What does the father do? The father removes his presence. The father removes his spirit from the ultimate sinless David. Why? Why? For who? Come on, church. For who? For us. The sinless David loses the spirit and is cast away from the presence of God. And the sinful David keeps the presence and stays in the presence of God. Why? So that you and I, despite our sins in Christ, would never have the spirit leave us and never have the Father's presence depart from us. Do you know how strong you would be if that melted your heart? Do you know how strong you would be if that truth so shined in your heart that your fears, your insecurities, your doubts, he loves me like that? Yes, child of God. Is this good news? Are you, just, are you just sitting there just soaking it in? Yeah, just soak it in. Because you know what? I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to come and make the truth shine. The extent to which you and I get up every day and we don't go, Father, accept me. I praise you. I'm trying. I'm really trying. But the extent to which you get up and go, Father, I praise you because you accept me unconditionally, radically in Christ. Is your heart deadened? You've forgotten. Grace, are you anxious? If, if God didn't abandon you on that, what makes you think he'll abandon you now? Jesus says, I praise you. And the more he cherished and reflected on the gospel of Christ, the more powerful the experience of the Spirit. 
And the more powerful the experience of the Spirit, the greater our awareness of truth. Truth. Spirit. Spirit. Jesus, pray with me. We're going to take communion, but before we do, I am going to ask, I am going to ask. As I've had many conversations, I know that there are those of you for whom, and I need you, when I talk about rigorous honesty, here it is, church family. Here's my brother, my sister. The first step towards rigorous honesty is the willingness to admit that the truth isn't shining in your heart is to admit that you don't know what this is like, is to admit that you are turning to drinking, alcohol, whatever else, to mask the pain because you can't handle truth. The first step is willingness to admit, I need you, Spirit. I need your penetrating truth shining truth coming alive work in my life if that's you child of god and you're struggling and wrestling with it i need you to stand with me right now right now stand up stand up with me stand up with me from your seat stand up with me stand up with me and i want you to put your hand out like this put your hand out like this come on come on come on come on is there anybody else? I'm going to give a few more seconds. I'm going to give a few more seconds for those of you that are sitting there saying, I need this truth to shine. Peter, I so need this truth to shine. I so need, I so need the filling of the Spirit to become reality in my life. We stand, 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 stand. Is there anybody else? Come on now, is there anybody else? Because in a moment, I'm inviting the church family to stand around you, to lay their hands on you, and to pray for you. So I'm going to ask, is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Come on. Is there anybody else? Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Spirit of God. Oh, Spirit. At this moment, for those of you that are sitting, just look up. Look up. And I want you to stand around the brothers and sisters that are all over the sanctuary. Stand up from where you are. Lay your hands on them. You may know them. Better yet, you may not know them. But put your hand on them. Put your hand on them. Get around them. Put your hand on them and get around them. I have no idea. I have no idea what enormous things that these brothers and sisters might be wrestling with. It doesn't matter, frankly. You don't need to know the details because our Heavenly Father does. Our Heavenly Father does. Is anybody on the worship team that need prayer? Anybody here? Kelly, can the rest of you guys just put your instruments down? Darius and Kelly, please circle them. I want every single person that had the courage to stand to be covered by our hands, by our arms, by our lives. And I'm just going to read. 
Ephesians 3, the prayer of Paul. And as I slowly read it, you just take words and phrases that the Spirit prompts you with and you just pray that into their lives. Just pray that into their lives. Pray that into their lives. We pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen this brother. He may strengthen this sister with power through His Spirit in their inner being. So that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And we pray that this brother and this sister being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, here it is, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that they would know, that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge. That they would be filled, that they would be filled. Say that with me. That they would be filled. Say that with me. That they would be filled. That they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Hallelujah. church. This is beautiful. Be the church. In the next minute or so, will you just pray that prayer into their hearts? Pray that prayer that the gospel and the truth about God, truth about who they are, living reality would become real. And the response would be, I praise you, Father. I praise you, Heavenly Father, for your God. Pray that in. 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 Pray that in church, oh Holy Spirit. I can't, we can't do this work. It's your work. Holy Spirit of God, it's your work. Holy Spirit of God, it's your work. Make your truth shine. Make your truth shine. 